so off air, we were sort of just joking around uh, about actually that last question I asked uh, about the impacts of social housing or, or the impact, sorry, uh, facing social housing at the moment, given everything that's going on. And sort of, I think we come to the realisation, actually, do you know what, it's probably going to be a good a good episode because a lot of it's so yeah, imperative to everything that's going on economically at, at the moment. So here we are, episode uh, <laughs> four. Uh, social housing September. Um, yeah, so the biggest challenges facing the social housing market at the moment. And, and just before you start answering that, I will caveat, I appreciate mm. it's social housing September. But for those people that are listening, a lot of what I'm going to guess you're going to say is going to apply to, you know, the, the private sector as well, mm. because a lot of this is very macroeconomic based. So I'll go again with the question. <laughs> now, and what are the biggest challenges facing the social housing sector at the moment? Um, quite a lot. <laughs> it's the short answer, but the long one, predominantly it is, you know, costs to the business from various different angles, but also costs to our customers. So I think that the first one to kind of knock out the park is on cost of living crisis. We, by our very nature, rent to those who are marginalised by the markets who tend to be the least resilient in terms of cash reserves um, and income. So people who are going to be feeling the squeeze very hard indeed. Yes, they're probably likely or hopefully going to get a greater proportion of government assistance than uh, the rest of us, but it will have a straight impact on our rent arrears. It is likely that we're going to see an increase in what have been relatively well-managed arrears, um, particularly all the support that came through the pandemic. Um, we as a sector did quite well through that appreciate that wasn't the case for everyone involved in uh, real estate more broadly but in the social housing sector it wasn't as bad as it could have been mm-hmm. um, but it will have an impact we have as a sector come off multi-year cut in the rents that we could charge um, because we operate under a national formula that sets the parameters by which we can increase our rents year on year Typically, it's CPI plus or minus 1%. Um, that tends to be where we kind of operate at. Um, now, obviously, moving forward, CPI is going to be very high indeed. I know for June, RPI was 11.8%. So it gives you an idea as to where inflation could be. Um, now, obviously, there's a subtle difference between RPI and CPI, but inflation is high regardless of which particular metric you're looking at. So we are going to have to make a decision as to whether we directly pass on these costs to people who don't have a lot of cash to begin with and increase our rent arrears, or whether we take the hit as an organisation, which is arguably the moral thing to do, and increase rents at a lower rate than our costs are going up. So either way, you're going to have an impact on the business plan. Um, the, The latter of those two, you kind of own that impact and can in some ways plan for it a bit better but we're still going to see an increase in uh, our costs regardless and we're likely to see an increase in our rent arrears regardless um aside that we're seeing a number of significant capital investment requirements come to fruition for us we have uh the fallout from various changes to building and fire safety regulations and requirements um, organisations that have a lot of high-rise are going to be facing, again, quite rightly, legitimate uh, costs on updating the cladding on their uh, stock. 
where they are a freeholder. There's potential to be able to claim it from third parties where that's not the case. But regardless, we are going to need to foot that bill. It's morally outrageous that leaseholders have had to pay out any money for this because it's not anything to do with them in terms of the, the externals of the um, of the building. We then also have um, kind of slightly related, but decarbonisation as well. So we have significant targets to hit as an organisation um, by the 2030s and the 2050s in terms of hitting net zero carbon. Housing has a massive role to play in that because if you can reduce down uh, expenditure and use on gas and electricity, you will significantly reduce our carbon footprint. Um, to do that requires massively upgrading a large amount of our stock um, by better insulating, by putting in more efficient windows and doors, um, by getting in cavity wall insulation, um, and you know, generally tarting the old girl up, you know, just reinvigorating some of our stock. In some instances, it will probably actually be more financially viable to regenerate the stock by knock it down and build again. But these are significant capital costs on an already distressed financial plan. Um, so from a sector point of view, income will drop, outgoings will increase, a balance will need to be found in terms of leveraging outside support, be it from the government or be it from the, the private sector, although there are rules and caveats in place in terms of what we're allowed to uh, bring in for day-to-day -day spending. So we aren't, we might be getting this wrong, but to my knowledge, we aren't allowed to borrow in order to do our day-to-day -day spending. So we can't go to financial markets and be like, right, we want to have a bond so that we can just, you know, keep running costs smooth. That's not how we can operate as an organisation. It's focused on capital um, uh, finance as opposed to your kind of day-to-day -day, uh, loan covering costs. So we're in a bit of a... <laughs> A, a tricky situation. I would not want to be working in finance at all. Um, I probably wouldn't want to be working on our development arms either because we're going to have to readjust those, probably scale back, probably do more market sale, ironically enough, because your, your headroom there is greater. Um, although we are also heading into recession. And what happens as soon as you hit a recession? Building drops off a cliff. So our ability to cross-subsidise is hit. Our ability to draw in capital funds is limited, depending on what the government of the day wants to provide. Our ability to draw in private finance is limited in terms of specific rules applied to us as organisations. Our revenue streams are going to be hit. It's almost, almost the perfect storm of internal and external factors hitting your business model. Damned if you do, damned if you don't, is what springs to mind. It's, yeah, it's what we say, um, so it's what we say to people as well. And again, why I made that caveat at the start of this particular episode is, you know, this is this is, this is housing in general. Uh, we're all under the, the same umbrella here where, you know, you're going to have you know, rent arrears potentially increasing, you know, We've been quite lucky to an extent, and there are other people that have hardly been affected at all, but you are going to get people that have been quite affected by that. We also have the EPC ratings to consider as well, which being a domestic energy assessor myself is something that is one of those things where the thought is good, but the execution about how you go about it is dreadful, which 
Yeah, I'll be honest, that sounds like government full stop, no matter who's in control. <laughs> you know, it, the, the idea is good, but how, how you go about it is 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 very bad. And, and the best example I give of that, apologies because this is slightly off topic, is uh, air source heat pumps. And um, at the moment, if you take out, and uh, this is most of the time, if you take out a mains gas boiler or mm. some form of oil boiler, for example, and you replace it with an air source heat pump. Now, when we produce an EPC, mm. we're at the hands of some computer software. Surprise, surprise. It is what it is. But the computer software don't doesn't really like electric only. So you go to electric only, actually, most of the time, it'll actually decrease the EPC rating. So <laughs> it's little things like that that when you mentioned decarbonisation, yeah. and, you know, fair enough, absolutely fine. You know, it's good to get some solar panels on and we'll weigh yeah, a can yeah. and do all this. But, yeah, I, I think the, the times where I've visited customers who have had an air source heat pump in and they've mm-hmm. had some form of oil or mains gas boiler taken out, and actually yeah. the EPC rate has gone down because the software behind it doesn't like it. It just doesn't like electric only, yet we're getting almost pushed to going down that route. So, yeah, from an energy performance certificate point of view, I would imagine that also affects your stock as well. And as you've said before in previous episodes, where a lot of the stock can be Victorian, that era, the biggest factor for an energy performance certificate is the age of the home. And, of course, once it's built, there's not a lot you can do about that. So that's just another bit of fun and games but i imagine point being that epc ratings as well is something that you're gonna to have to take into consideration moving forward as well yeah 100 i mean most organizations will have a cyclical program where they're looking to improve or enhance on it again it's around the sweat in your assets better epc rating more money you can kind of draw down on it so it makes financial sense it's quite bizarre on the the uh air source heat pump stuff because gas boilers will be run out of commission by the 2030s so why aren't you encouraging that by actually having an enhanced score where where people take it out I, 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 that's just madness absolute madness on that but it's a serious one for us to contend with because again one of the areas government can really kick people at the boot on is social housing because it's got a direct stake in it one way or the other so you're likely to see them come down harder on us and on the initial front because they, they've got more leverage there um yeah quite, quite bizarre and a classic case of good idea bad regulation kind of in action um it's for us that they're going to have to be some serious conversations on, on whether we retain or dispose stock it's going to be that brutal um in terms of the epc stuff um my organization already has a proactive program of where the sums don't add up discharging the stock because you can spend £50,000 on an asset and actually you don't increase the value of it. Now, is that good return on value? No. Can you justify that as spend? No. You know, yes, we're non-profit, but we still have to be profitable um, as, as an organisation. And these conversations are going to be replicated across the country. Yes, historically, both from a DHS and EPC point of view, Social housing stock has been slightly above the private rented sector, but within there, you've got variations from local authority to local authority, from landlord to landlord. You know, um, so 
it's going to be a com complicated one for a national government to ensure everyone heads down the right path. And as you've already just mentioned, there's some perverse incentives in there at the moment, even at a point where we're coming up to the, the last decade of gas boilers being installed by default into properties. You've still got this bizarre uh, incentive to retain them because you get a better EPC score, which is just, yeah, not yeah, sensible. No, it's not. I will say on that, I know that there's a lot of efforts behind the scenes from the lodgement companies and they're in deep talks with government about, about this very thing, saying mm. the exact same thing. It's like, well, you want us to go down this route, but however, at the moment, this is what the software is doing. This is how it's reacting. And, you know, you have to hold your hands up and say that if you're – Obviously, you're based in the Midlands. We're based down down on the south coast here. But if you go to any typical row of terraced houses, I don't know where you're going to put an SLC pub. But then you have to deal with planning because it can't yes. be too close to boundary and all that sort of stuff. And mm. you know, anyway, that whole different conversation. But point being, so we're dealing with inflation at the moment and and decarbonisation as well. At one point there, that just wanted to clarify, so it might be people listening to this that might not get it, I don't know. Mm. When you say you're not for profit, but you still want to make a profit, can you just clarify that for people that might not understand? Yeah, of course. So as a not-for-profit, not it means that we don't have shareholders in the traditional sense, so we don't pay out dividends on our profit to anyone at all. We reinvest the cash that we make. Um, for a long period, the sector liked to call it a surplus um, because there are some kind of negative connotations with it. But let's be let's be honest, right? We do well. I mean, I was saying we got a lot of financial pressures, but sadly, businesses are booming for the social housing sector. There is strong demand for social housing because we have a supply demand issue in this country, um, or more precisely, demand supply issue in this country. Um, so we generate quite healthy profits at the end of each year. What we then do with those is reinvest in our services, in our homes uh, and in our houses that, that we, we own and or manage. Um, yes, we have to be mindful of ensuring that we can facilitate any loans that we have taken out. Um, increasingly, private sector funds the majority of our development. As I mentioned in the earlier podcast, something like 78% of our investment comes from private sector now uh, in, in terms of cash. So you are reliant on being effectively and efficiently run organisation and you need money aside to service them. But yeah, that's effectively what we mean by non-profit. So we're, we're not a, a HSBC or you know a, a Tesco's or anything like that where we pay out cash at the end of the year to any shareholders or operate on a profit model. Fair enough. No, thanks for... Thanks for explaining that. So I was just thinking there might be a few people out there that think oh, that, that's a contradiction, but obviously clearly it's not. So again, just, just to sort of go over this, we've got inflation, we've got decarbonisation, uh, supply and demand as well. So basically generic economics 101, as I would call it. What other challenges, and I'm probably I'm going to guess politics might come back into it because of uh, various policies and whatnot, um, yeah. but what, what, else, uh, what else is the sector face and what other challenges are there at the moment now? I think quite rightly it has been critiqued for the service that it provides. Um, again, mentioned this previously, but 
just because we provide a public good doesn't mean we are good in and of ourselves inherently. Um, you have to constantly work at improving yourself and improving the services you provide. There has been over the past decade or so a step away from some organisations in the sector from what some see as the kind of core raison d'etre of being a housing association, being a registered provider, which is community-focused housing provision. Yeah, they're, they're the core elements of what we do. Um, we are also, as we mentioned, heading into a recession. A number of the larger organisations have market exposure because they, they've gone to the bond market, because they have expanded out into private rented sector, into student lets, into commercial real estate. <clears throat> so inevitably, that does fall under the same umbrella as the social housing organisation. Um, and you can see it bite and bite hard. There's an organisation called Cosmopolitan who are no longer in existence. They were swallowed up by a large organisation called Sanctuary who went into the student-led sector and got it spectacularly wrong uh, to the point that they were no longer financially viable. The regulator stepped in and the way that we operate in England is where you hit financial troubles as a provider you effectively get swallowed up by another organisation. So the risk and the liability is taken on broader shoulders and dissipated. Um, not the only country to do it. Uh, Holland as well operating a similar model and a very large organisation called Vestia effectively bet on the currency markets a couple of times and got it woefully wrong. Um, but over there, they have much smaller organisations. And the idea is that if a small organisation failed, then they could easily spread out. In this instance, the largest provider failed. So it's a bigger impact on the sector as a whole. So not just an, an England-based issue there. Um, but yeah, it, it is a challenge for us as a sector. And as I say, it's a you know almost perfect storm of multiple impacts on organisations all at the same time to kind of uh, get your head around. Um, but it's why... We pay the, the senior staff in these organisations not in considerable amounts of dosh to, to come up with solutions to those. Absolutely. I always find that if you are, if you're well run and you have people that have the necessary experience, then I'm going to guess that most of the time that should negate negative external factors. But should. Should. Sure. Yeah. We, we are relatively insulated. As I say, most of our, I mean, not all of it, but a lot of our revenue comes from social rents. A lot of that is guaranteed by the government in the form of housing benefit and universal credit payments. Um, not all, but a substantial amount. So you are able to take some of these hits. I think where it comes to concern, particularly for national government, is what are the strategic outcomes that you want? Because you know, of the 4.2 million uh, social housing units in England, more than 50% of that is are owned by housing associations. So you are a key part of government policy when it comes to delivering um, from a public good point of view. If they're wanting you to build more housing and, you know, councils and housing associations are excellent at the counter-cyclical stuff, because they're not a private developer, government can just turn that tap on a little bit more, give them more grant funding to continue building even at a stage where most developers will quite rightly be hedging their bets, reducing down their liabilities and developing less, as we've seen in the, the previous um, downturns. 
you have the option there to, to try and drive through. But even now, even with that being said, you're probably going to see a drop in what gets produced by housing associations because of all the other factors. Because if you need to deliver X number of homes at Y cost, but you don't have that, and you need to ensure that you get through X number of units each year in terms of upgrading for EPC and net zero carbon stuff, mm. you're naturally going to have to draw back your expenditure, prioritise where you want to hit. Fundamentally, going back to the point, are we developers or are we providers? Well, we're both, and the default mode would be, well, you're a provider. So, okay, instead of building 1,000 units this year, we'll build 400. Instead of building 600 next year, we'll build 200. Um, and we will keep that cash in our war chest to cover the the impact of having inflation in double digits and ensure that we can deliver our commitments when it comes to decarbonising our, our homes and ensuring the insulation quality of the properties we, we manage and deliver. And also ensuring, in, if I get my words out, also ensuring, 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 there you are, happy days, uh, that you also are providing the necessary services to the tenants as well. Otherwise, if you start faltering on that, I'm not saying that your organisation would do that, but as we've spoken, you know, there are organisations out there that might be having challenges at the moment with that. So you still got to ensure that you are, you know, meeting that service demand as well. Otherwise, that can go belly up quite easily, I imagine. 100%. And you're entering into a new proactive regulatory environment where if you do get things wrong, the regulator is going to come knocking, potentially unlimited fines coming your way. So it's a real difficult one. I mean, again, I wouldn't want to be in finance, but my priority would be ensuring that inflation on service delivery is absorbed. Basic services are the core focus. Additional support for our customers in, is enhanced. And frankly, development takes a back burner. You know, you, you have to understand you're, you're almost entering into a batten down the hatches on a period, even for organisations that take a fair amount of government cash in one way or the other. So I would certainly be less ambitious in my development programmes. I would be elongating the pipelines for delivery and flexing that as much as I can to give me enough headroom because, yeah, it's going to get choppy, very choppy. Couldn't agree more. I've said that a lot in the last sort of <laughs> few hours of our time together, but I'm, I'm starting to realise that actually the social housing sector and the private sector are, in my, in my mind, singing from pretty much the same hymn sheet. And I wouldn't have said that before we, we started having these conversations. I sort of had it in my head that there were different size ends of the spectrum and actually the more I listen turns you know pretty much from sing from the same hymn sheet without sort of turning it into a, a Monty Python sketch you know yeah. without apart from inflation decarbonization yeah. hopefully people will understand where I was going with that okay. um, but apart from inflation decarbonization you know and the potentially pending recession of course mm. If we follow in the footsteps of the US, we can just redefine what a recession is anyway. It doesn't <laughs> avoid it, um, yeah. Yeah, so we could just avoid it anyway. Um, is there anything else that you think that you haven't mentioned that you think could affect the market moving forward? Not that isn't already, you know, what's happening in the macro environment. I think that, yes, there are some more sector-specific stuff that's going on, but, you know, we're all facing the same challenges in terms of, Inflation, we're all seeing the impact of the war in Ukraine and what that's doing to food prices. We're seeing, you know, 
gas and electricity bills shoot up all over the place. So those are universals. I mean, for the sector, even when it comes to stuff like decent homes, you know, private rented sectors potentially facing a decent home standard as well, depending on what reforms come through following the private renters reform bill. So, you know, there are, you know, general stuff that's hitting with businesses at the end of the day. Yes, we're charities. Yes, we provide a public good, but you still got to make sure you stay in the black at the end of the financial year. You know, that's that's the name of the game. It will be easier for us than other organisations because of the nature of who we are and the amount of government cash that's knocking about. But it's still going to be tough. You're still going to have to make some difficult decisions and arguably um, draw back on your liabilities where, where you can. Definitely challenging times ahead. And with that, well, you know, we'll, we will wrap up Social House of September. And, uh, Neil, it's been great chatting with you um, and listening to yourself and everything you've had to say in, in the course of the last four episodes for Social House of September. So thank you for taking the time out of, of your busy schedule uh, in order to, you know, help produce this wonderful content for the audience. No, I'm more, more than happy to take part. You know, it's uh, it's been fantastic and the opportunity to talk about and promote the sector. Um, and yeah, chew the fact. We'll have to disagree a bit more. I agree with you. It's been it's all too agreeable, but um, yeah, it's <laughs> been 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 a real pleasure. It really has. I'm I'm sure. Well, we'll make it a challenge in 2023 <laughs> to find a topic where we fundamentally disagree and we can thrash that out on an episode uh, as well. If people want to get in touch with you, how can people find you? Uh, best place will be Twitter. Uh, it's uh, N Goodrich Housing, which is N Goodrich HSG. Um, but if you use your uh, internet search engine of choice and just type in Neil Goodrich Housing, I'll probably appear. It's a, not a common name and I'm quite vocal. So, um, yeah, you should be able to find me via those two ways. And as usual, we will put those links in the show notes and you'll see them for the previous episode as well where the links will be in the show notes. Yeah, Neil, we'll find a topic we disagree on and uh, we'll, uh, we'll debate that next year. Perfect. Looking forward to it.